Welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? My name is Reverend Ann Dunlap. I'm a pastor doing community ministry for racial justice and solidarity here in Denver, Colorado. You can learn more about me at fiercerevremedies.com. I'm also the faith organizer for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, nationally. And this podcast is a project of SURGE Faith. SURGE is a national network of groups and individuals organizing white people for racial justice. So we want to remind folks that this podcast is designed for white people. White people talking to other white people about race and white supremacy. Of course, this isn't meant to be white-only space, and we would love to hear feedback from folks of color about how we're doing. Nevertheless, we want to be clear that white people like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. The word is resistance. I'm happy to tell you that we've here in Denver when I last joined you, just in case you were worried about me. In the last week or so, the clouds have come and we've had some good rain and the high temperature has dropped about 15 degrees. I'm grateful because this means I can sleep again, feel like I can move again, think a little bit again. The heat, I'm telling you, it hung on me dragged around with me like sandbags in my skin. Kind of like the way that parable I talked about last time, drug on around me, drug on around me, drug around on me is what I want to say, drug around on me, even after I posted up that podcast, even after I tried to give it a rest inside my head, my heart, but the weeds and the wheat and the enslaved people nobody talks about just wouldn't let me go. I'm still fighting with Jesus about it. I'm still wrestling, wrestling off my own need to fix it and make it better and to sit with the truth of what I myself said. Sweating over it. Exhausted. Still wrestling. So imagine my surprise when after a couple of days after posting up my last podcast, I took a look at the next set of lectionary texts. Jacob wrestling with a stranger at the Jabbok. Okay, God. Very funny. I appreciated Nicola's reminder last week to linger in the divine love, to remember that even when we are fighting with Jesus, we are still held by so much divine love, we hardly know how to understand it. Because this work is hard, y'all. When I am anguishing over something like I anguished and still am anguishing over that parable, or over the whole state of the world, I have to be reminded sometimes to linger in the divine love, to rest, 
to take my whole heart tincture and drink my hawthorn tea and pray and rest and God, I am so, so thankful for the cooler weather that makes lingering feel more possible, that makes rest feel deeper. I needed the rain. still wrestling though y'all just to be clear I still don't have any answers about that parable still I find Jacob's and Jesus's stories this week to be helpful a reminder if you will I'm not the first who have wrestled won't be the last I have a tender spot for Jacob this is a Dr. Harding story of course my very first order at Isle of School of Theology Dr. Vincent Harding was a guest in my first year colloquium class he spent time with us, had us introduce ourselves and our mamas and our mamas' mamas. Something about his work with us, because it was always work with us, never lecturing at us, made me think about my own family history on this continent. So after class, I waited until I could speak to him. I thanked him for being there and such, and then I asked, Dr. Harding, my family so, I don't even know what to do with I know my ancestors had, I know we killed Native Americans. What to do with all that? What do I do, Dr. Harding? I wanted an answer. Honestly, I wanted him to fix it and make me feel better about it. And looking back on it now, I know this is a common thing white people do, bearing our soul confessions to people of color and expecting them to fix it for us. And I feel a little chagrined with myself about that now. Dr. Harding was gracious with me, though. He smiled gently and said, Sister, I would say, wrestle till you get a blessing from it. That was all. Wrestle till you get a blessing from it. You notice he didn't actually fix it for me, right? Also, I'll note that that was 11 and a half years ago and I'm still wrestling. So I mean, it's an answer, of course, but not the kind of answer that's going to fix everything by next Tuesday. Wrestle till you get a blessing from it. So, yes, I have a tender spot for Jacob's story here. He's an interesting character, Jacob, part trickster and part... Here we find him on the verge of meeting up again with his estranged brother Esau after finally getting out of the clutches of his equally tricky Uncle Laban. Jacob is on the edge of the Jabbok. It's nighttime and he's alone and... I have to wonder what he's thinking about. If he's at all uncomfortable, worried, anguished. If he's wondering what kind of welcome he will receive from Esau. Pondering the 20 years he's given up to Laban under some rather tricky terms. I wonder what he's feeling when that stranger shows up and commences to wrestle. They wrestle each other until dawn that liminal time in between that is neither night nor day, neither light nor dark. The stranger wants to be done, so they whack Jacob in the thigh, which hardly seems fair, I think. But even with his hip out of joint, 
Jacob demands a blessing before he will let go. It all seems a little backwards to me. Started Jacob demanding a blessing and not the other way around. Jacob wanting out and the stranger demanding some kind of token or price or lesson from Jacob before letting go. That's usually how those heroic stories go, isn't it? Such a curious story, this one. Jacob is changed. He's injured and never quite recovers. In his name, that is his identity, perhaps even how he understands himself, is changed to the one who wrestles with the divine and humans. And somehow Jacob slash Israel, heel grash God wrestler, understands that what happened there by the Jabbok was that he faced the divine and lived. Even still, Jacob slash Israel limps off as the sun rises, never quite the same person he was before he wrestled till he got a blessing and a wound from a nameless stranger by the Jabbok River in the liminal time between day and night. As I think about this story, in light of my own wrestling, prompted by Dr. Harding, my own wrestling as a white person confronted with a history that is complicated and a future that is as yet unknown, but deeply connected to that complicated history. Think about how we as white folk are confronted with our history, how we are confronted with our complicity in the systemic perpetration of white supremacy and other oppressions. And I think about how sometimes, a lot of times, we run away instead of wrestle. There is this thing called white fragility. Maybe you've seen some of Dr. Robin D'Angelo's work about this. Basically, she describes the way white folks get defensive and deflective in conversations about race and why that is. I do it. I recognize it now as the little voice in my head that says, but when I read or hear something about racism that makes my white self uncomfortable. I sometimes talk about it as white grief the way we white folks practice anger, denial, bargaining when we are confronted with the fact that we have been lied to about the way of the world and that we've been content and comfortable with that lie. Kind of like my last podcast, how I felt about that parable. And I invited us then to stay in the discomfort, to go deep with it, to wrestle with it, and what Jacob can teach us is to engage in the wrestling rather than run away from it. Engage it and demand a blessing from it, though clearly the blessing is not something sweet and easy and certainly does not fix everything by next Tuesday. No, Jacob still has to go meet Esau on that aching out-of-joint hip, that never-quite-unhurt-again leg. The point in engaging in the wrestling, you see, is to not stay the same. The point as white folks in wrestling with the reality of white supremacy and how it is embedded in us is to not stay the same. The wrestling should change our behavior. It should change our practice. It should change our self-understanding. What I mean is, when we wrestle with whiteness, perhaps we will come to realize that white is not the name given to us by the divine. And it will hurt 
to realize this. It will hurt like a heart out of joint to stay awake and aware to the harm white supremacy does every day, how it shows up everywhere, all the time, including in us. We will not be the same once we choose to wrestle beside our own rivers in the liminal time between night and day. Jesus is wrestling beside his own body of water when we find him in Matthew 14. It's funny, the lectionary has had us for weeks in Matthew's different teachings and parables of Jesus, and then we hop over here to Jesus trying to get away from the crowds in his boat. We miss the crucial part of the narrative, which is the this that Jesus hears about in chapter 14, verse 13, the execution of his cousin John the Baptist by Herod, recounted in the first part of chapter 14. Of course, the execution is blamed on a girl child who has zero structural power, so let's be clear Herod got done what he wanted to have done, namely the murder of John, in direct response to what Herod is hearing about Jesus. Back in February for Transfiguration Sunday, I pointed to this same story as crucial in Matthew's narrative. Jesus changes when his cousin is murdered. In February, I said, what I want us to see is that the persecution of John the Baptist by Herod is a key factor to Matthew's story. The tension around Jesus increases as we move through the gospel, and that tension is often tied to John. Jesus has to have an eye on what has happened to John for doing almost exactly the same things that Jesus is doing now. John, arrested, jailed, executed. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. That's the verse, 14:13 that comes immediately after Jesus is informed of John's execution. This is the first time in Matthew's narrative that we see Jesus actually trying to get away. And between now and the transfiguration story in chapter 17, it happens repeatedly. Jesus keeps trying to get away, but he keeps getting interrupted by his crowds, by challengers, even by the weather. He keeps teaching and healing and dealing with challengers, but I see something has shifted. We see the strain on him, how he treats the Canaanite woman, for example, how he starts warning his people, and he keeps trying to get away. Maybe he's trying to get away to deal with the shock of John's execution, to figure out what it means, to figure out how he's supposed to keep on. Maybe, I say today, he's wrestling. That's the context we come to in this week's gospel story. Jesus is wrestling, and he won't get his blessing, that is what we call the transfiguration, for a few more chapters. So we find ourselves here on this shore, and in the midst of his wrestling, in the midst of his grief and anguish, Jesus does two curious things. There's a lot of focus on the feeding of the crowd, on the supposed miracle, but there are actually two things and sees all the people and feels his heart moved in compassion for them, even in his own grief. He heals them and he feeds them. In my last podcast, I said that we have to be willing to stay in our discomfort, to go deep there, wrestle there, but not get stuck there. 
not get paralyzed there. I think that's what Jesus is trying to do here. He's wrestling, but he's still moving. He stays connected to the work and to the people. He keeps his aching heart open somehow, even though he knows his heart is out of joint and needs tending to, somehow he keeps it open, compassionate. And I'm curious about the work here, healing and feeding, two things the Roman Empire has a lot of control over. And here Jesus creates ways for the people to opt out of having to participate in those systems. He heals folks. He makes sure folks know how to feed each other. In the midst of his own grief, his own wrestling, he stays committed to his purpose of embodying the unempire of God, even when his own heart is so out of joint, the very next thing he does is get back on that boat and go off to wrestle with God some more. Jacob and Jesus, wrestling it out with the divine in that liminal space of anguish, confusion, uncertainty, discomfort, grief. Both are changed. Jacob gets a new name. Jesus is reminded his name is Beloved. Both keep moving hips and hearts out of joint and aching over what they know. The point, beloveds, on this journey as white folks to dismantle white supremacy, even where it has embedded itself within us, on this journey to repair with estranged family and to embody the unempire everywhere, the point is to engage in the wrestling. The point is to let yourself be changed. The point is to let yourself feel the hurt. The point is to remember your divine given name. The point is to keep moving. The point is to keep by the water's edge. The point is to wrestle till you get a blessing from it. A divine name, a healing and fed community a heart so out of joint, it never stops aching for the world. call to action today, I invite you to practice wrestling. Practice identifying your own practices of defensiveness and deflection that indicate your discomfort when confronted with the reality of white supremacy. What's the voice inside your head? I'm putting a few links to articles in the transcript, including Robin D'Angelo's piece on white fragility, but there's also plenty out there in social media, maybe even a single tweet. So choose one or two things from this list or elsewhere and just pay attention to what's happening inside your head and in your body. Maybe find a small group in your congregation or among your friends and try this. Like Jesus knew, keep connected to your community. Just listen to yourself. Find the uncomfortable place and stay in it. What does it feel like to wrestle in your spirit, in your body? What's the little voice in your head, your version of, but? 
What is that discomfort teaching you? If you do this in community, then share with each other what you learn. And if you do this on your own, share what you read and be open and honest about your wrestling. We need role models, and you can be one. The other piece of the call to action is to keep connected to your people and keep moving in the work. Take action towards alternative ways of making sure folks are healed and fed. I don't mean food pantries and soup kitchens so much. I mean sending some funds to people of color-led community gardens and healing centers, those places where folks are trying to figure out alternatives that are not connected to the empire's control of access to healing and food. Or maybe your spiritual community has some land that could be given to folks of color for producing food and healing herbs and space for healers to sort of all sorts to practice so that all have access to care. Do some research in your town or city. How can your spiritual community participate in healing and feeding in ways that don't depend on the empire? Because if we've seen anything over the last few months, it's clear the Herods of the world are happy to take health care and food away from just about everybody but themselves. So wrestle and keep doing your part to build up a new world. Thanks as always for joining me today. The transcript always includes resources at the end to support your actions. Let us know how it goes. I'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. We'll be back next week with Margaret Ernst giving us a resistance word for the texts for August 13th. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available as well as on our website, which include references, credits, and copyright information. The music you hear is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding. We are building up a new world. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians here in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. Big thanks to our sound editor this week, Colin Matheson. Thank you. As always, blessings to all of you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Blessings in your wrestling. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you.